maybe like some of you, I grew up uh, on Saturday uh, late mornings watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. How many Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom? All right, we got we got at least a few folks who are going to be able to relate to me. I love that show because you got to see uh, you know animals out in the wild. You got to see them in their in their natural habitat. And I was hooked on Marlon Perkins, you know, and his sidekick Jim. Uh, they you know they just kind of you know made uh, my world a little bit bigger. They went to exotic places and did amazing things with you know uh, lions and tigers and and uh, you know big snakes and stuff like that. And, and Marlon Perkins was so cool because he would always, every, every Saturday, he'd always kind of say the same thing. He'd say, you know, while Jim is, is in the Amazon River wrestling the 30-foot giant anaconda, I have the difficult job of holding the camera steady so you at home can see, you know, what's actually happening. You know, Jim is going down for the sixth time. You're like, hope he pulls out this week. But, but there was something about just being able to, to observe, you know, animals in their natural habitat that was so cool. Well, as I grew up, I, I didn't really want to uh, spend my time traveling to exotic places, but I, I like the idea of observing the world as it's going on uh, around us. So in college, I majored in sociology, which is basically an excuse to watch people in different settings and in different groups, and somebody actually gives you a degree uh, for doing that. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is a people-watching passage. It's, a, it's a, a section of Scripture where Jesus happens to be sitting in a certain place, uh, and life is going on all around him. He's, he's uh, watching, you know, uh, these folks in their natural habitat. Uh, they're not performing for anybody. They're just going through daily life. Uh, and he just kind of takes a moment to sit back and to watch what's happening around him. And then, uh, as, as Marlon Perkins would turn to the camera, Jesus kind of turns to us. He says, let me just toss out one observation for you and get you to consider this. And so this morning, uh, this is a very short passage, just four verses, uh, and there's only really one point uh, to this sermon, which we'll get to in just a second. But it comes out of Jesus uh, just kind of sitting back and watching a set of circumstances and then being able to look into the heart of the matter and offer a challenge and an encouragement to his disciples, which hopefully we'll be able to pick up on this morning. The passage is in Luke chapter 21. Uh, as we continue on in our, on our study in Luke, we're just going to look this morning at the first four verses. So you can follow along in, in your Bibles, you can follow uh, along in the screen. Uh, so let's uh, visit with Jesus as he makes this uh, observation about life. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Uh, You all have prayed for yourselves. I want to take a moment uh, before we go into this word and pray for me. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that uh, you would speak, uh, that you would teach, that we would have ears to hear what the Lord Jesus wants to speak into our lives. Father, I confess my sin to you. Uh, I acknowledge that uh, this morning, like every other morning, when I walk up those four steps uh, over on the side of the stage, I'm always amazed that I'm the person that's doing this. I fall so short don't love you like I should. And yet you give me the wonderful opportunity not only to know you as my Savior and Lord, but to share uh, with these folks. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that that you would 
take your word and that you would apply it to our lives in a powerful way today. In your name I pray, amen. Let me just give you a real quick context. I mentioned to you that Jesus is people watching. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that's, that's taking place uh, during the last week of Jesus's life. It's sometime after uh, Palm Sunday that we call it and, uh, and Good Friday. Uh, it's probably on a Monday or Tuesday and Jesus has been spending his time and will continue to spend his time. Let me just say if it's sometime after uh, Palm Sunday that we call it and, uh, and Good Friday. Uh, it's probably on a Monday or Tuesday, and Jesus has been spending his time and will continue to spend his time during the, the week that we call Holy Week, uh, leading up to the, the Last Supper. He will spend his days in the temple engaging with a variety of different people on a variety of different levels. Uh, and at this particular moment, it seems as if Jesus has taken a break. Uh, he's probably sitting down on a bench. That's why Luke says he looked up. Uh, he's probably kind of just resting from some of the teaching he's doing. He's maybe uh, the disciples have, have uh, gotten him a snack and he's getting uh, something to eat. He's sitting in an area of the temple called the Court of Women. Now, the Court of Women, if you've looked at a map of Solomon's temple, is a, is a large open area uh, outside the, the inner area uh, of the temple. And it's a place where people brought their offerings. Uh, it's no coincidence that Jesus walks up or looks up and sees people dropping their offerings. And in this court of the women, uh, there are literally 12 uh, golden, they're made out of gold, shaped uh, trumpets that sit around this room. And each of these gold-shaped uh, trumpets is not to be played, but rather uh, it's there for people to come and drop their offering uh, for that particular need. So Green Tree wasn't the first uh, uh, group to say, you know, we're not going to take time during the service to take the offering, but we'll drop our offerings in as we come and go. These, these were the original offering churches. We didn't cut our offerings in as we come and go. It wasn't the first uh, uh, group to say, you know, we're not going to take time during the service to take the offering, but we'll drop our offerings in as we come and go. These, these were the original offering churches. We didn't come up with this one uh, on our own. And the 12 different golden trumpets each represented a certain need. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you could walk by the, the trumpet that would give money for the poor. Uh, you could walk by the trumpet that would give money for a certain group of priests. There were a variety of different ways that you could give uh, your offering. And so Jesus is watching folks, <clears throat> excuse me, coming and going, lots of folks uh, giving lots of money. And yet Jesus, Jesus notices the most obscure person in the crowd. If I were there and I was watching, I would probably be impressed with the people who are putting in large sums of money. And in Jesus' day, you didn't write a check and put it in discreetly, but rather you brought your money bag to the temple. And so I would probably sit back and go, wow, look at, look at how much that person's putting in. Wow, look at how big that money is. Uh, that money bag is. And I probably, the, the woman who walked by and dropped in two copper coins probably would have been invisible to me. And yet Jesus sees her and he sees something about her that he wants to share with his disciples, that he does share with them on that day and that he wants to share with us this morning. I think it's important, first of all, that we know what Jesus isn't saying. There's a couple of things here that, that have been misrepresented uh, over the history of the church, and I want to make sure we're clear on what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus isn't saying that the accumulation of wealth is immoral. Jesus isn't looking at the rich people and saying they're wrong because they're rich. I don't support anyone earning money or making money. Jesus isn't saying that at all. In fact, Jesus had many rich disciples. Jesus had people of great wealth who followed him, who saw him as their Savior and as their Lord. 
Uh, earlier in the Gospels, it talks about there were several women who were quite wealthy who financially supported the ministry of Jesus. Jesus actually talks about one of the most immoral person <clears throat> that, he, that he mentions in all of the New Testament is when he tells the story about the unmerciful servant. You remember the unmerciful servant? He owed the king millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay it because he was bankrupt. He had no money, and the king forgave him. And then what did he do? He turned around and he went on and he found a fellow servant who owed him about $5. And he literally had him thrown in jail because he couldn't pay off the debt. Jesus says it's not about how much you have, but rather it's about the condition of your heart. So we want to be careful not to apply something here that Jesus isn't saying. The second thing Jesus isn't saying is that only poor people give generously. He isn't, he isn't saying that you, you have to have next to nothing in order to be a generous person. And again, we want to be careful not to misconstrue the text in any way. However, I do think Jesus is saying something through this observation, and it's simply this. Your faith or my faith, and and by faith, I I mean trust in God. I mean believing that he is Lord, that he is the one who, who orders my life, and that I follow him as a first and primary motivation in my life. He's not something that I do on Sunday. He's not a, a person I go to when I really get in a jam and I really have a problem. I, I spend all the rest of my time controlling my life, and when I need him, I go and get him. You know, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about faith. Faith is saying that every decision I make, every way in which I order my life, is formed out of my trust in God through Christ. So Jesus observes this, and he says, faith will shape your focus. The widow's focus was not on her condition. It simply couldn't have been. That's impossible. What right-thinking person down to their last few pennies, and literally she had in her possession about an eighth of a penny in our standards for today, not even enough really for a full day to exist in her culture. What right-thinking person down to those last few pennies gives it away? That doesn't make any sense unless you approach it from a faith perspective. She could not have looked at her circumstances. She could not have looked at her financial set of circumstances and said, giving this offering is the right thing to do. She could not have had her eyes focused on her circumstances. Uh, I was thinking as I was looking through this passage earlier this week about a story out of 1 Kings chapter 17, where the prophet Elijah has confronted uh, the wicked king Ahab. And he's told King Ahab that there's going to be a famine in the land for seven years because of your wickedness. Ahab's wickedness affected a whole nation of people. Uh, And Elijah, likewise, he's without food and without water, just like everybody else. The famine's affecting him. And God sends him to a widow in a small, obscure town of Zarephath. And when Elijah sees the woman, he says, what are you doing? Uh, She says, I'm getting ready to cook a little meal here. And he says, well, before you cook your meal, bring me something so that I may have a little bit to eat. Uh, she recognized him as the prophet Elijah. And she says to him, look, I, I'm down to just a little bit of oil in my cup. And I'm down to just a little bit of flour. And I'm out here collecting a few sticks because I'm going to make a fire. I'm going to cook these little couple pieces of bread. And then my son and I are going to die. <laughs> a right-thinking person says, how can I hold on for all I'm worth? This woman knew that she was on death's doorstep. She knew that this family was severe. And yet she was fighting with all that was in her to stay alive. And Elijah said, now Listen. <laughs> This is a faith moment for you. Trust in God. Go make those cakes. Bring them to me first. And I promise you the oil and the flour won't run out until the famine is done. That widow, like this widow, had a choice to make. Where would she focus? Would she focus on her circumstances 
or would she focus on her God? I believe that this text is telling us that Jesus is not primarily concerned with changing our giving habits, but rather with changing our focus, that is, growing our faith. Because faith, focusing on your faith and focusing on your circumstances at the same time literally is an impossibility. I either am going to trust God or I'm going to base my life on what seems right for me. Now, I have a really goofy way to, to, to show this to you, but I'm going to put a picture up on uh, the screen here. And if you're, if you're towards the back, this may not, you might not be able to see it quite right. But my point is you can't focus on two things at once. If you look, it's the same picture, but if you look at the picture on your far left, my far right, the purple flowers are in focus. You guys in the front can probably see this a little better than the folks in the back. And the red flowers are a bit obscured. Okay, that was based on how the photographer fixed the focal lens on the camera. If you look at this picture closest to me, the red flowers are in focus, and the purple flowers, which are down in front, are now blurry because we're looking back towards the back. Kind of a goofy example, but I think you get my point. You can't focus on both of those at the same time. You can't see something in the distance and something up close. You've got to focus on one or the other, and it's just a simple way of getting us to think about this in spiritual terms. Again, Jesus is not primarily concerned with changing our giving habits, but with changing our focus. And so the one question that I want to ask this morning through this text is simply this. Where is our focus? Where's your focus? Where's my focus? Focus on God through faith means that I will filter all of the decisions of my life through my trust in him that I will look to him first and not to my circumstances. The widow, for example, perhaps she knew this verse. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5 says this, speaking of God, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy mountain. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy mountain or his holy habitation. Now, friends, that's either true or it's not true. That's, that's a truth statement. That's that the psalmist is making a claim about God. And he's either accurate about God or he's inaccurate about God. That's where faith comes into play. Do I believe that God is a protector? Do I believe that God will care for the widows? The widow looked at a, that truth about God and she said, I'm going to believe that that is true. Now, she couldn't do that and focus on her situation at the same time because she had to decide what to do with her two small copper coins. Trust in God means I go ahead and I give my offering because I know he's the one who protects the widow. So I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have any money right now in my pocket. I'm going to drop them in the offering. I'm broke. But you know what? God said he'd take care of me. And my trust is not in what I could do with those two small coins, but my trust is in him. She picked her focus to be a focus of faith. And I think Jesus in this comment to his disciples is simply saying, amen. That's the right choice. Following me, trusting me, allowing your faith to focus on God and his will for your life. Jesus says, amen. That's the right thing. To put it another way, faith simply means getting first things first. It's giving me a paradigm for my life decisions, for how I order my days. Let me give you just a a couple of examples of how uh, this can work. For example, in Scripture, Jesus tells me that I'm to go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus tells me that I'm to be a witness for him. Jesus tells me that if I see an opportunity uh, to share my faith, to share the truth of the gospel with another person, I need to take advantage of that. Okay, so that's, 
that's the faith part of it. That's God's will for my life, okay? So if I'm focusing on that, then my circumstances are irrelevant. But as a, as a sinful person, I can tell you my circumstances at times are very relevant to me. And I wonder, what's this person going to think of me if I begin to talk to him about Jesus? Will they think I'm foolish? Will they, will they not want to hang around me anymore? Will they think I'm kind of a, a, a weird Jesus freak? Maybe I should just be quiet. Maybe this isn't quite the most opportune moment to share my faith. If I'm focusing on that, then my circumstances, a weird Jesus freak? Maybe I should just be quiet. Maybe this isn't quite the most opportune moment to share my faith. Faith focus or focus on my circumstances is a very practical and a very real question. I got a call last week from a friend of mine, kind of known for several years, really good guy. And uh, he calls me up and he says, uh, I have a 14-year-old, and I knew what the next thing was that was going to come out of his mouth. I have a 14-year-old, and do you have time for us to talk? (laughs) And I, you know what? I've had 14-year-olds too, and I, I know how that can be. So I said, sure, let's get together. He, he doesn't go to Green Tree. I, I don't know that he has any faith to speak of. Uh, I know him from, a, from, a, uh, I know him from, uh, from hockey in Kirkwood. And so we, uh, we meet, and we're chatting, and we're talking. And uh, he's telling me some stories about you know, he and his son and how he really wants to be a great dad. Uh, and, and how he's struggling a little bit with that and his 14-year-old's attitude. Uh, any 14-year-olds out here, I'm, uh, no, I'm not going to apologize. Y'all pretty much have bad attitudes in life. You need to work on that. But uh, the good news is, is you're the smartest you'll ever be right now if you're 14 years old. You, you only get dumber from this point forward, so it's downhill from here. But we're talking, and, uh, and I said, let me tell you something I, that I've learned in my life. One of the things that I've learned in my life is that, that I want to try uh, and win the person and not win the argument. In other words, it's more important to me that, that I establish a firm relationship than I prove to the other person that I'm right. And that, I'm going to come back to that again in my second example of this. But I said, now, I got to tell you why I think that. And I kind of took a deep breath. And because uh, he didn't call me up and say, hey, I want to talk about spiritual things. He said, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about my relationship with my son. I took a deep breath and I said, you got to understand my perspective and where I'm coming from. You see, I believe that the cross means that Jesus didn't want to win the argument. He wanted to win the person. And Jesus died so that he could win me. Jesus died so that he could win you to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. And so when we talk about parenting, you got to understand that I'm coming from a, from a perspective of a person that believes that he's saved by the grace of Jesus through the cross. And he didn't think I was strange. He I, well, he might have, but he was polite. He didn't, he didn't say, well, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And we went on with the conversation. And as we were talking, I said, Lord, just whatever you want to do in his life, do that work. But, but it took a faith focus to say, okay, I don't care what this guy thinks about me. I'm going to try and tell him the truth in Christ. Where is my focus? Where is your focus? Let me give you another example. Scripture tells me to love my wife unconditionally. Scripture tells me to love my wife at the same level in which Jesus loved the church. And we know that Jesus died for the church. He, he died to make us his own. He gave everything he had, Okay. So I take that into the context of my marriage, and as long as Cindy loves and adores me, that is not a problem. (laughs) As long as she's good to me, as long as she's behaving the way she should, we're good with the whole unconditional love deal. But you know what? Every once in a while, Cindy messes up. I know that's hard for you all to believe. I know that's hard for you all to grasp. We know who the bigger culprit is in our relationship. And sometimes I need to make a point with her. And sometimes I need to be right. And I got to defend my position. Well, where's my focus at that moment? Is it in faith or is it in protecting myself and saying what I think needs to be said? We started practicing something a few years ago. 
that, uh, that has literally radically changed our marriage. We decided that we would never again apologize to one another. I think maybe I've shared this with you before. I never say I'm sorry to Cindy. I haven't said I'm sorry to Cindy for years. What I do say to Cindy is, Cindy, I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? I've confessed it to God. I'm confessing it to you. And Cindy never tells me she's sorry anymore. She says, Tom, I've, I've done this and I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? I can't tell you how, how radically that's changed the intimacy and the friendship in our relationship with one another. Why? Because it's a focus of faith. I don't have any ground to defend because Jesus defended it for me. I don't have any righteousness that I have to, that I have to put forth and prove that I'm right because I'm wrong. And Jesus knew I was wrong, and that's what the cross is all about. See, friends, this faith focus, as opposed to circumstance focus, is practical ramifications every day of our lives. I'll give you one more that, that's not individual but is a community. Green Tree is getting ready to, uh, to plant City Church. We've been very active in the planning phases of that. City Church is going to launch their public worship sometime this spring, Lord willing, on Easter. We're getting ready in March to introduce to this entire congregation a half a million dollar uh, capital fund to raise money for that church. We're doing that in the worst economic times that most of us have seen in our lives. So we have a decision to make as leaders before we bring this to you guys as a congregation. Is this the right time? Maybe, there's a, maybe we ought to hold off for a little while. Maybe we ought to wait. Well, if you look at the economy, the better part of wisdom says that's exactly right. This is not the time to go to people and say, you know what, over the next three years, we would like everybody to give a little bit extra in 2009, 2010, and 2011 so that we can launch this church and really get it in a good, healthy place to the tune of about $500,000. This is not the time to do that if you're looking at the economy. But you know what? I'm not looking at the economy. I want to look at God. And God's told us at Green Tree to go and plant churches. And at $500,000 is his problem, not mine. That's the difference of a faith focus versus a circumstance focus. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying naively, blindly, just go off and make haphazard decisions. But I'm saying if you put your trust in God, it allows you, even when you're down to two copper pennies, to say, you know what, Lord? I believe that you take care of widows, so here you go. It's yours. It was yours to begin with, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to remember that and to grow in my faith in you. Green Tree has that same opportunity. You have that same opportunity as an individual every day of our lives if we're disciples of Jesus. He's calling us to grow in our faith focus. Is it scary? <laughs> you better believe it is. <laughs> this is not a simple task, and it is not for the faint of heart. I get a newsletter from a, from a friend of mine that I met a, a few years ago who uh, ministers in the Muslim world. I can't tell you where he ministers, and I can't tell you his name uh, because his life would be in jeopardy. Uh, a couple of you in the congregation actually know him. And I read these emails, and I'm just astounded. You know, he talks, you know, my prayer request is uh, help us plant city church. That's a pretty big prayer request, and that's a good one to have, right? Uh, help us to be faithful in that. His prayer request is, you know, pray that my family doesn't get slaughtered this week if somebody finds out that, you know, we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> that's a little bit different level, friends. Can it be scary to, to focus on your faith? Yeah, it absolutely can be. If you focus on faith, does it mean that everything in your life turns out okay and you never have a problem again? No, doesn't mean that. 
I look at this passage and I say, okay, hey, Jesus, I just got one more question. Uh, Luke, get me to the next verse and tell me what happened to the widow, right? Tell me that the, the father of the fatherless, the protector of the widow, that she went off and as she walked out of church that Sunday morning, somebody handed her a $100 bill and paid for her rent and took care of her. The next verse says, and while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things, da, 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 and he goes off, he talks about the temple. And I'm like, wait, hold it. <laughs> Story's not done. <laughs> Give me the happy ending. It's not listed. It's not there. Why? I think because on the one hand, Jesus is saying, Tom, it's none of your business. <laughs> That's between me and the widow. I'll take care of her. You trust me. It's like I say to my kids every once in a while when they say, Dad, I need, you know, I got I to gotta pay for something or I need this or I need that. I'll say, let me ask you a question. What's that got to do with me? <laughs> no. I think God's saying, Tom, what, what's that got to do with you? I've promised in my word that I'll provide for you. Because on the one hand, Jesus has to do with me. <laughs> no. I think God's saying, Tom, what, what's that got to do with you? I've promised in my word that I'll provide for you. I've promised that if you trust me, that I'll get you home safe. I'm not saying the road isn't going to be bumpy. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be challenges in your life. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be disappointments. There aren't going to be moments of great fear. But if you will focus on me, if you will trust in me, you'll be in a much safer place than you were before emotionally and spiritually. Jesus had to practice faith. This is Holy Week that we call it. Jesus is sitting in the temple three, four, maybe five days at the most, probably not even that much, before he's going to hang on a cross. Jesus had to have a faith focus to go to the cross, friends. Do you remember what he prayed in the garden before they came and arrested him? Father, if it's at all possible, remove this cup from me. Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. I see it. I get it. I don't think I, I want to do that. Nevertheless, not what I want, but your will be done. What Jesus is asking of me this morning, what he's asking of you this morning, is to have that kind of focus. To say, Father, your will be done. It might be easier to ignore this call on our lives. It may feel safer to want to be in control and to want to hold on to those areas where we really need to develop our faith focus. But it really isn't safer. It really isn't healthier. It really is a path that leads ultimately to death. 